Welcome to Evidence-Based Radio. We have a wonderful and uh, really exciting program coming up. We have some great guests in the studio tonight. Uh, If you follow the Facebook, you should already know that uh, we have some great, we're going to have a great conversation about uh, an excellent um, project called Being Human in STEM. So do you want to introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Sheila Jaswal. I'm a professor at Amherst College in the chemistry department. Hi, I'm Anna Makarlamanov, and I'm a sophomore at Amherst College in the Being Human in STEM course. Excellent. So probably the first thing to do is to start with um, talking a little about what was the uh, catalyst for doing this and why did you feel there's a need to have something called being human in STEM because aren't most people in STEM human? Oh, that's such a good uh, point. We are human and yet are we allowed to be our full human selves when we're in our scientific persona and our scientific lives? So as to how we got this project started, It really came out of conversations that I was having with students around the time of uh, some student unrest that was happening at Amherst College in November of 2015, actually just around this time, two years ago, um, when there was a lot of conversation and um, a lot of strong feelings around the more and more reports of the police brutality and uh, the Black Lives Matter movement was gaining traction and attention. And there was a sit-in that got scheduled for one hour in our library by three African-American women in solidarity with, at that time, students at the University of Missouri at Columbia who were protesting some racist things that had been happening there. And then also one of the students was um, from South Africa and was, um, was wanting to be in solidarity with some unrest that was happening with students because of tuition there. So um, this, this one-hour sit-in that happened turned into this transformative truth-telling event where the Amherst community students, staff, and faculty came together to listen and hear from each other about some of the experiences that uh, some of our most vulnerable and marginalized populations have while um, in our society at large and also in our community at Amherst College. So as those stories were being told, it just really struck me that these we all should be listening to each other and, and um, hearing each other's experiences, especially in STEM where there's often not space for that, made for that in our courses and labs and communities because there's so much content and we think that we're very, uh, we need to focus on being objective. And so... Um, those conversations started happening and where I was sharing my experience with others with students and um, it just kind of snowballed into we need to just relate to each other as humans and and that should be okay in STEM and so um, 
the students wanted to kind of continue these conversations and so we decided to just make up some kind of course where we would talk about our lived experience as the diverse um, folks that we are in STEM and then put that in the context of the academic literature that's out there and then also share that with our community. And so that was the first class happened uh, spring of 2016 and we're now in our fourth iteration and we could talk some more about some of the things that have happened, but um, that's kind of how things got started. And just as a, uh, a little aside before we go on, can you just, in case there's anybody out there who doesn't know, what does STEM mean? Oh, that is that is a good point to make. So STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics, and that's become kind of the catch-all term to talk about um, those fields and the um, kind of those disciplines get grouped together in thinking about careers and academics and we don't have engineering at Amherst College but we kind of use that terminology because it's just out there these days. Excellent. One of um, so I've gotten involved with the project just this semester and uh, this past summer I worked with Professor Jaswell who we all call Dr. J um, and I heard about the project, of course, and so I realized that for me, it's really an important part of my STEM education to learn about the human aspect of STEM. And as someone who cares about social justice, I thought that I should think about this in terms of my own life and my own community. And so I've gotten involved with being human in STEM, and I've seen some of the effects of policies they're implementing in our introductory STEM classes. And for example, there are, in my Orgo lab, we, um, they've been making a, an effort to try to get us to switch lab partners every time and get to know them personally. And um, I've also am working on a project as part of the course, which is going to um, have a, we're planning an outreach project for elementary school children, and we're creating and adapting lesson plans to right now so that we can actually interact with people in our community. Excellent. And so that's one of the um, most important things I think that's come out of this is that it's not just an Amherst College thing, that you really are trying to make it uh, available to more people and to kind of make this the nexus of something that will move out into the uh, greater world. And um, so I know that it's probably still sort of nascent at this point, but, um, you know, do you want to talk a little bit about the vision uh, of what you would like to see? Sure. That's, you kind of hit the, hit the nail on the head that we really would would like this to become something where students, staff, and faculty in their own STEM communities, whether it's at other institutions like Amherst or um, we've we've now partnered with Yale University, who has run their own course. Um, but we think this idea of just getting the conversation started and um, letting letting folks share their experiences and then looking at the the larger context and then trying to say what do we do with this information now and how can we use what we've learned to really enhance our own stem community we think that's the key to 
something that could be sustainable and really lead to a shift where STEM communities are taking responsibility for being inclusive ourselves and not looking for some solution that um, is is a magic bullet about how do we turn diversity into inclusiveness, but we recognize that that's work that we all have to do together. And so, um, like, uh, like Anna said, one of the ways we're trying to take it beyond Amherst is to actually beyond Amherst College is to actually have some of our projects um, impact the community around us. And that's something that motivates a lot of our students is connecting with younger students and getting them excited about science. And um, so that's one of the arenas. And then, um, but that's been, you know, starting out from our core of having this course, letting the students come up with projects that they're invested and excited about. Um, but then the way that we started this expansion was that we got invited in our first semester to visit uh, Yale University that had also been having a lot of a lot of student unrest and in that fall and I had been in contact with Andrew Maranker who had been my postdoctoral advisor in the molecular biophysics and biochemistry department there and so um, he actually and also an Amherst alum one of our first biochemistry biophysics majors Chris Lim um, had started with Andrew this idea of diversities at Yale where they were trying to do events to bring together the STEM community and to kind of recognize and support people of all different um, stripes and identities so they um, they as one of their events they invited us our class the so of the nine of us I think or of the nine students and me five were able to go and uh, they were really interested to hear about how we were. We came up with this idea, and um, and our students were just blown away by the fact that we had 35 Yale students and professors in a room who wanted to hear from us. What could they do to make their classrooms more inclusive and make it so that students felt like they really could succeed and were valued? So that started it, and then from that visit, the. Andrew and a, and a physics professor um, who call themselves, you know, two middle-aged, balding white guys who are the last people <laughs> you would think would get involved in this. Um, they put on that class the fall of 2016 and um, had a great success and did it, but took it in their own way. So they didn't just follow what we did. Their students decided they wanted to really put together a climate survey to find out about the experiences in a more quantitative way of of the students. And they got an amazing response rate of 800 students from Yale um, to their survey. And then they're following that up with actual interviews. And they did a presentation at the end of last year that had more than 70 STEM professors packed into a room to listen to what your STEM students want you to know. And um, I got to come and, and attend that, and it was, it was incredible. Um, so, Yeah, that sounds like a really, really worthy experience. And um, I think that it's, a, it's just so great to hear that people were actually interested because I think that's one of the hardest things to do is to get people to actually come to the room and listen or to talk about it. Um, that's generally one of the hardest things to do. And so, yeah, um, that's really exciting. And so, Anna, what 
let's talk about what you're doing right now. Let's start with that for a bit. So um, in the, our course is a collaborative project. So there's been a lot of input in um, to what we want to do and what we're interested in. And so we all started together by reading some common articles about diversity in STEM and inclusivity and different practices that are important. And then we've grouped up into um, different groups based up based on what project we're interested in. And we had input into the projects and now we're just developing our own projects. So I obviously I know most about mine and it's been really interesting to try to think about how younger people um, experience STEM and STEM education and what the main takeaway for them should be. Um, and that is that STEM is fun and important and cool. And I think that's kind of the outlook I had when I was young. And so that's how I ended up here. And so I hope that they'll have a positive experience. And then in terms of my longer look goals, longer term goals, for this class, I think it's just learning to make this an important part of how I think about STEM. And we're all, all of us students in the class are going to go on to do something, whether it is a STEM-related career or not. And we can all benefit from thinking about the human aspect of things. And if we become teachers ourselves, to try to think about that in our classrooms. Excellent. All right, I do want to take a moment to remind everyone that this is our pledge week um, and we are an all volunteer, all donation based radio station. So every dollar that comes in goes to things like paying the electricity bill and the rent. Um, and so if you can donate, that is amazing. You can call 413 uh, 585 1033 to pledge. Or even better, you can go to valleyfreeradio.org/donate um, and you can find our PayPal information there. And um, for every donator, so for every person who donates, uh, there is, again, this this uh, time around, a matching donation of $10. So if you can only donate a dollar, that turns into $11. Um, so every little bit helps. Thanks so much. And so now, getting back, um, what do you think has been the most challenging things so far as far as um, maybe just people, because I'm sure there's some other challenges, but the one I'm interested in first is the challenges for people to sort of um, buy into the idea of even having something like this. Well, I think I was thinking about this earlier, as you mentioned that getting people in the room and I think for Amherst College, our what what struck me after the uprising was that all of our departments sent letters in support and were just, you know, every site you can go on the Amherst Uprising website and you could see these letters from our departments and our STEM departments saying, you know, we are with you and we want you to succeed and feel included and and yet the experiences we were hearing about from our students there was such a disconnect there. And so so 
really the goal was kind of to bridge this disconnect. And so because I think there is real goodwill and real good intention and we all want our students to succeed um, and we want our students to feel included, I think the fact that it was our own students who were coming and being so I really feel like those students, the students were just very brave and showed how much they loved Amherst College by being willing to be so vulnerable about uh, the pain and the, the um, how challenging different aspects of being at Amherst are for certain groups and that they were willing to share that and they believed in Amherst and in us enough that hearing these stories would would help us to think about how can we make things more inclusive. And so I think getting people in the room at Amherst was about um, the fact that it's our students, we care about our students, we want our students to succeed, and we want them to feel included. Um, And so that personal aspect. And I think we had that first semester, we had a salon at the end of the semester that drew about 75 students, staff, and faculty. It was a huge success, and part of it was we did send out personal invitations to people who we wanted to come. Um, And I think that, um, you know, we're having another salon on December 12th from 4.30 to 5.30 in the Center for Humanistic Inquiry at Amherst College. Everyone is welcome. Um, But the, you know, I just wanted to say then for Yale, what was important and what drew those Yale faculty into the room at the end of their class was that they had gone and gotten this very quantitative data in terms of the the climate survey and they put it in terms you know stem people we like data and um and especially at a research university seeing that data was was very important and so framing it in that way was the right way to get the conversation going even more at a place like Yale and I'll just add that we've had interest from um, Skidmore College so the chemistry department there is going to run a a course like this in the spring and then one of our Amherst alums Kaylee O'Keefe who's now at the University of North Carolina saw my tweet about the Amherst student article. We're having a big banner week for our uh, publicity here, but um, she is getting her hands on our material and is gonna try to do something like this there. So um, yeah, so it really is exciting and it's expanding. And I think the fact that the stakeholders are all being invited to come into the room from the beginning and have these conversations um, is, as well as the fact that we're all here because we love science and we love learning and faculty love our students. So um, we want we want to support them. And I will um, put a link to the Emmer student article on the Facebook if you are interested in reading that. Because yes, that did come out uh, just this week and it's a very exciting front page. Um, yes. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's it's a small publication, but you'd be surprised at how many people read it. So yeah. it's very exciting for you guys. Yeah, it's exciting, too, because Yale, the Yale Daily News, which also has a big circulation for a small paper, they did two articles on their uh, on their Being Human in STEM initiative, and, um, and it got a lot of widespread. Um, so maybe we could put those links, too. Absolutely. Yep. Um, So one of the things that, Anna, I think you touched on, um, and I think that is a really important part of this, and it's something that you talk about um, in your materials, is the problem with the uneven preparation that people have. 
And so that is, I think, a real hard problem to crack. And I'm not sure what the what a good answer to that is, but I know even just at Amherst, you have students coming from all over the world, and they have a really, really, really diverse amount of preparation for going into STEM. There's some kids who probably don't even go into STEM because they don't feel that they have the preparation. And so I'm just wondering, um, you know, is that something that you're looking at? Is that something... Um, you know, you can, obviously you can't do anything about that in the short term, but I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that subject of the issues, especially in America, around science preparation when kids start at college. Well, I've definitely noticed among my friends and my peers that we've all had different high school preparation, just different environments, and I've been pretty lucky to Um, I went to public high school, but we had a very strong STEM program, and I felt prepared for the the courses I took here um, so far, and I'm, like, um, I can see how a lot of my peers have struggled, not because they aren't smart, because I know them, and, like, I know that they're very smart, and that they didn't learn certain things that are expected of people to already come in knowing because they expect everyone to have taken a chemistry class before um, taking the introductory chemistry class. And so I think that the practices that the college has put in place so far as um, providing some additional resources like the Q Center, and um, which is our quantitative center on campus, and other TAs and other people that can provide some extra support, but um, it's not, I don't think it's enough for everyone yet. And one of the things we've done is to try to compile a list of resources for students so that it's more accessible. Um, But I think that's something we've definitely talked about and something we're trying to address. And I think uh, one of the the things that came out of hearing from a lot of students including students who started out in STEM and then left STEM, was that some of the these expectations around what students should already know, as well as a little bit more explicit, being a little bit more explicit about some of those expectations would be really helpful. And things like understanding that going to office hours is considered part of how you learn the material and how you master the material. And it's not something that is only something you do when you're failing a class or that you're um, somehow not up to snuff. And so um, things like that are some of the practices that um, we pulled together. So the students at last year um, really wanted to take what we had learned in that first iteration of the course and turn that into some things that could be implemented. And so one of the really nice products to come out so far is this handbook on inclusive practices that our students had started the draft of. And then over the summer, a collaborative of faculty and staff worked to put that together. And then we got to share it at the dean's retreat on inclusive pedagogy right before the semester started and apparently it's been going like hotcakes from our center for teaching and learning we had to print out some more so um, that kind of thing i'm really excited about i'm really proud of that the students have initiated this momentum that we're all uh 
many people are just more people are getting on board and excited about and and starting to try some of these things and it's also there's already there's so much great stuff happening in how different professors at Amherst of course are teaching their classes and so um, we're hoping that we can learn from from other colleagues who aren't involved in being human in STEM yet and that we can kind of help working hand in hand with the Center for Teaching and Learning really have a kind of hub for STEM practices and and make being human in STEM just the norm for Amherst. Excellent. Um, so we're going to take a break for a few minutes. Uh, you can use that as an opportunity to go to the website and donate if you'd like. Uh, we are definitely still in the midst of our uh, pledge drive and every little bit helps. So hang on for just a few moments and we will be back. Hi, I'm Charlie. I fight fires and I save lives. My name's Renee. I'm a cardiologist. I save lives. My name's Anthony. I'm an EMT. I save lives. You don't have to be a professional to save a life. Firefighters, doctors, and others save lives. You can too. Don't wait. To learn more about the warning signs and how you can help prevent suicide, visit save.org. In a crisis, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. Alcohol poisoning is caused by binge drinking large quantities of alcohol in a short period of time. Very high levels of alcohol in the body can shut down critical areas of the brain that control breathing, heart rate, and body temperature, resulting in death. Alcohol poisoning deaths affect people of all ages, but are most common among middle-aged adults. In the United States, an average of six people die every day from alcohol poisoning. Most of the deaths are among men. States and communities can support proven programs and policies to prevent binge drinking. Healthcare providers can screen all adult patients for binge drinking and counsel those who do to drink less. Don't binge drink. If you choose to drink, do so in moderation. Up to one drink a day for women or two drinks a day for men. To learn more, visit cdc.gov slash vital signs. Today's episode, Bobcat in the Cave. Oh, nuts! There's a bobcat in this cave! Save us, sassy! You will, but first you'd like to stress the importance of cat adoption? Over 5 million cats go into animal shelters every year and they need to be adopted? Help us, sassy! Why bother? We'll just get into more trouble tomorrow? Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Remember, adopt. Outbreaks of whooping cough, or pertussis, are happening across the United States. This serious respiratory disease can be deadly for babies. By getting the whooping cough vaccine, called Tdap, during the third trimester of each pregnancy, women can pass antibodies to their babies to help protect them until they're old enough to receive their own vaccine. Learn more at cdc.gov slash pertussis slash pregnant. That's pertussis, P-E-R-T-U-S-S-I-S. Hi, I'm Stacy from Evidence-Based Radio, science and skepticism with a pinch of feminism, Friday nights from 6 to 7 on Valley Free Radio. 
Valley Free Radio gives me a voice in the community, and it's this community which keeps us going. We're an all-volunteer station and rely on donations to keep the lights on, the rent paid, and music and information broadcasting to you. That's why I'm asking you to go to valleyfreeradio.org and donate. For every donation, a $10 matching pledge will be added from the estate of David S. Dow. David cared about community radio, and I hope you do too. So whether it's $1 or $100, please donate today at valleyfreeradio.org. The Lily Library is filled with adventure and wonder for kids and adults of all ages. Lily Library in downtown Florence lends books and movies to everyone. They offer free parking, free Wi-Fi, and two-hour sessions on Internet-connected computers. They also offer extensive programs for children, including story hours, clubs, and activities for teens, as well as adult programs. The library is open Tuesday and Thursday evenings, Saturdays and Sundays. Find out more at lilylibrary.org. You are listening to Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. I'm Mayor David Narkowitz, and I support Northampton's community radio station. You work hard for your wages, so you need to know most workers should receive at least the federal minimum wage and hopefully more. Also, most workers should receive overtime if they work more than 40 hours in seven days. These are the laws for everyone, documented or not. Have questions about your wages? Call the U.S. Department of Labor Wage in Our Division. It's free and confidential. Call 1-866-487-9243. That's 1-866-4-US-WAGE. We can help. A message from the U.S. Department of Labor. And we are back, and we are still talking about humans in uh, STEM with uh, Dr. Sheila Jaswal and Anna um, and I'm sorry, I've misplaced your name, last name. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry about That's that. That's all right. And I'm Anna McCarlinoff, class of 2020. Amherst College, yes. And current member of the class that we are talking about. And so I think that we were going to ask you to talk a little bit more about the makeup of the class, because I think that's really important um, because part of talking about humans in STEM is having more than uh, just the same people in the room. Uh, we talk about at Yale, starting with two balding white men. Um, so how has the uh, push towards actually making this class diverse worked out? Well, we have, um, we have a, the largest enrollment thus far since the pro- program started in the most diverse class. So there's um, 18. Yeah, and um, there are people across all class years except for first years, and um, just because the class was closed off to them, though I know there were definitely first years who were interested, and then people of uh, different majors and across gender and race and country of origin, so we have like a lot, lots of different people, and there are people in that class who I never would have met um, otherwise, just because there's definitely just my circle of people that I know, and there, um, there are athletes and non-athletes in our class, for example. And so I think we've brought in a variety of perspectives and different experiences within the STEM community in Amherst. And I'll say we have enough uh, students that we have four 
robust project groups. And so the one that Anna is in is doing the outreach to elementary schools. Then we have a group that's actually working on documenting and archiving our um, being human in STEM materials in our process and what we've been doing. They're they're hoping to make uh, some some modules that may eventually be a documentary, but we're trying to take small steps. Um, so they've been doing some video. They were able to interview five of the nine or six of the nine HSTEM pioneers from that first class um, over homecoming. And then we have a group that is working on other practices, other expansions and things we can do to deepen the inclusive practices at Amherst and, um, then the final group is work, is thinking about expanding and we're hoping to actually put together a national conference that we could host at Amherst in 2020 called A Vision 2020 for the new, <laughs> for STEM, uh, a new vision for STEM, being human in STEM, something like that. But we like the 2020 and the new vision idea. So <laughs> we've got those four project groups and, um, and it's been, it's been an evolving and interesting and challenging and rewarding process to be working in this collaborative kind of class. Maybe Anna, you could speak to that. Yeah, um, I've definitely noticed that we've uh, there's been a lot of emphasis on working with the other students and the more adult people that are with us and. Sometimes we invite people from, for example, the Multicultural Resource Center on campus or just other fa STEM faculty um, to be in the class with us. I'm working with two professors um, with, in the um, elementary school outreach group that are not like directly teaching our course but are helping just with this project. And so um, it's definitely been interesting to have to work with people uh, who all have their own perspective and I think a lot of the time especially in STEM we're at least on the level that I'm at we're taught to like do everything yourself to take the exam by yourself maybe collaborate a little bit in some discussion sections but for the most part it's you're acting as an independent person in this class um, you really have to work with other people and listen to their opinions. And it's been hard getting everything organized, but we have an excellent Google Drive system <laughs> to keep all of the uh, files shared between us. And I think I just, I wish I had like a little bit more interaction with the other project groups to see what they're doing. And, but I'm, but once we present at the salon, we will all hear about it everybody's projects and be able to share it with the rest of the community. Yeah, that's something I definitely remember from my college experience is the sort of cutthroat nature of uh, some of the STEM courses and hearing from friends who just felt very much the pressure to do pretty much anything to get the right result and to maybe get the right result over someone else. So I think it's really important to shift from that, um, you know, especially at elite colleges. Uh, I went to Smith, so, um, and uh, to actually, you know, have more collaboration because I think it's something that, you know, the sciences could 
uh, do with more of all around. Well, and I think the interesting thing is that science these days is really done in teams. And even within a lab group, you're working with multiple of your lab mates and you're um, troubleshooting with them. And then there's collaborations across different labs because we're bringing together different expertise. The types of questions that are the most exciting and important to be answering with research are ones often that you can't just answer with your own silo of expertise. So the idea of a lone scientist dude in a white lab coat just laboring away and being a brilliant genius on his own is, well, probably hasn't been the case for a long time and um, and it's certainly not the case today. Yeah, I think that um, some of the most exciting science that I report on certainly is interdisciplinary and, um, you know, a lot of times very interesting sort of combinations of people who, you know, 10 years ago I don't think would have ever thought to work to one together with one another. So I think there's a lot of really interesting science going on right now. Um, so we've been talking a lot about uh, this Humans and STEMS project, but I thought that I might also give you a moment to talk about um, if you have other research that you're particularly interested in. I wanted to let you have a moment to talk about your particular uh, interest because I'm sure you were doing something before you got into this. Yes. So actually, why don't we let Anna talk about her research and then I can add on top of that. So this summer I participated, I was a summer undergraduate research fellow at Amherst and I worked in Dr. J's lab, which is how I met her. And it was my first time really doing research and um, I think definitely noticed a collaborative aspect and I really like our lab dynamic which is great because we study protein dynamics. <laughs> um, and so I worked with a protein called Protein L and um, did various uh, two different types of measurements to measure the stability of the protein. Um, and then I got to present my research at the beginning of the this school year to my peers and other and the faculty in the STEM departments. And, and you got to present it in July. Oh, yes. Also, <laughs> uh, everyone in our lab, well, yes, many of our lab, we got to go to um, Montreal to the Protein Society Conference. And yes, I presented with a few of, of the, uh, the other people who work on the same protein as me. We all presented the protein, uh, the poster together. And so that was an amazing experience to see some, to, have, to talk to much more senior scientists that work in specifically in protein science and hear their opinions about our research. Yeah, so um, the protein that, that Anna is working on is a really nice, well-behaved protein that we chose to look at because sometimes when you're trying to develop new methods, you wanna really do that on a system that you understand very well and that you can um, look at in, in some traditional ways. So like Anna said, we're really interested in um, protein stability and dynamics. So proteins, what are those? Those are the molecules that do almost all of the important work in your cells. So they're really nature's labor force. And 
you want to uh, you want to be able to understand how a protein can do its job and what gets in the way of it doing its job sometimes. And so, one of the thing one of the ways to probe that is to um, look at how its particular shape enables it to do be the tool it needs to be for the job it does. And then because proteins aren't just static objects, they are uh, dynamic, so they're constantly moving and flickering and sometimes completely um, unfolding and then folding back up. So we want to understand those motions because those are all part of how the protein has evolved to do its particular function. And when it gets screwed up, it can get into the wrong shape and then that can lead to aggregation and plaque formation and some of these diseases like uh, Alzheimer's, Huntington's, Lou Gehrig's disease. There's a number, there's over 20 different human diseases where the problem is not that the protein isn't, uh, it doesn't have the right uh, sequence to, to turn into the shape it needs to be in, but it's that that shape is kind of loose and wobbly and doesn't get folded up and stay folded up. So we're trying to develop a technique that lets us look at that um, that is not as harsh as the traditional techniques that have been out there. And so we're developing hydrogen exchange mass spectrometry, which if you want to know more about it, you can come to our lab website, <laughs> at, which we'll, we can link to also from that. Absolutely. We will link to everything uh, <laughs> on the web page, uh, on the Facebook page, so evidence-based Facebook page. Excellent. So yeah, that sounds really um, exciting. And um, I definitely think that it is one of those places where there's a great amount that can be done. Because um, I do think about some of those protein folding diseases. Um, you know, I still remember back, uh, you know, 10 or so years ago, when I first found out about um, prion diseases, mm -hmm. and was just horrified. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think that's a really interesting um, place that we uh, would love to hear more from. Um, but thinking of hearing from, we'd love to hear from you uh, with your donations because once again, we are an all-volunteer, all-community-supported radio station. Uh, every dollar, again, goes to paying the rent and keeping the lights on and keeping the signal coming out to you. And uh, we have amazing listeners who keep us going. And uh, obviously, we are trying to bring you as much local news and uh, interest as possible, as well as national. So uh, 103.3 uh, is our signal. And I should say no. What I'm trying to say is 413-585-1033 is our phone number. Or you can go to valleyfreeradio.org slash donate. And um, you can do it through PayPal. Very easy. And again, um, for every donor, every individual donor, we will receive $10 from the estate of David Dow, who was a wonderful gentleman who I knew personally, um, who passed away a couple of years ago, but who loved this station and really wanted it to succeed. So thank you so much for listening and donating if you can.
All right, so we have a little more time. Is there anything that you specifically haven't talked about yet that you want to talk about? I know that you mentioned a conference. Was that a different conference from the one in Montreal, I think? That was a different conference. But I did also want to say, if only we had some Being Human in STEM swag, then we could (laughs) offer that as well as for for a prize you could get for, for donating. So maybe we'll come up with that. Uh, we're working on a logo right now. Put a post-it right note for and, that. Yeah. Um, so the conference that um, we got to co-present at with the Yale team was last March in San Antonio, and it was um, a very long-named conference, Understanding Interventions that Broaden Participation in science careers and so it was kind of serendipity that we managed to find out about this conference we had gone to a um, transforming stem education conference that was held in boston in november last year and ran into um, tony de pass who was one of the organizers of this understanding interventions conference and we were talking about our being human in STEM course and project, and he said, "Oh, you really need to, uh, you really need to come to our conference." So we we submitted to do a presentation with um, myself and Megan Lister, who is my partner in crime, and without whom this would never have continued as long as it has. Megan is the assistant director for experiential learning and innovation at the Center for Community Engagement. I may have massacred that title a little bit, but um, she's been helping keep this going since that first semester she uh, joined Partway In. And so um, she and I and um, Ashley Bohan and Emma Ryan, who were two of the original HSTEM pioneers and continued on, we went to uh, the conference and then um, three folks, Andrew, one of the balding white men, um, and two of his students, came and we presented a workshop that was a little bit like do-it-yourself being human in STEM. We kind of explained the rationale, what how it had started for us, and um, gave some information about what we had, how we had structured the course, and then walked people through thinking about how this might be possible on their campus. And um, the exciting thing was that um, we had a lot of interests. We had, um, we had about 16 people at our workshop and there were seven of us presenting because we were going head to head with a video game virtual reality talk but um but we had lots of materials um that we had brought that we just left out on the table and by the end of the conference we if when we introduced ourselves um everybody would say oh you're one of the humans in stem so it seemed to have caught on with the idea of it as well as the people who came to the workshop um, we're really excited about it. And in fact, just last week, I got a call from one saying that she wanted to talk about um, doing this at her institution, which is a historically black college. So it's really exciting that we have institutions of all um, of all different types that um, see this as a viable way to have this conversation. It is a great title, by the way. It's a very it's a very inspired because uh, I think it it makes people really think. You know, because like I said at the top of the hour, you know, isn't everyone in STEM a human? But it really makes you start to think about, um, you know, pulling apart that idea of humans being in the sciences rather than just people doing science. 
Um, and so I think that is a really great, uh, you know, way to put it. So um, one of the other things I wanted to just touch upon is um, sort of, we've talked about it a fair amount, but I'm just wondering, what is your, if you could have anything uh, happen next, sort of what would be your uh, wish list of next steps of trying to get this out there into the world? Wow, let's hear the student perspective first. <laughs> well, I think um, after like sort of seeing the behind the scenes part of this, I'm I and already starting to see some of the um, suggestions that were made at that were made in the inclusive practices handbook being implemented in my courses. I think that by the time I graduate, I'll have seen a lot more of that happening in my classes so I'm looking forward to that and I I guess like best case scenario um, all of my STEM classes will try to make the make the class more inclusive and have a more conscious effort to discuss these things or at least have these practices um, in place and I hope to see that and I hope to maybe even have some conversations with my professors about this. Yeah, I think that's a great, that would be a great place for things to go at Amherst specifically. And then looking beyond Amherst, I think uh, we, we've really been working. I'm, I'm very grateful that our chemistry department has funded um, our Being Human in STEM pedagogy fellow, who's also doing some chemistry TAing on top of it, um, but Minji Kim, who graduated last spring, um, has been really working with me to turn our materials into um, things that other institutions can build on, and so we've been putting together templates and timelines and um, really documenting things um, with, with the materials so that um, any institution could pick up and use the pieces of it that they feel are the most relevant and will work the best for them. And so um, ideally, and I think we're going to have this by the end of the semester, we'll have a, a Google Drive folder that has all these shared things in it and a kind of linked um, table of contents for it and a you know, timeline of here's some suggested curriculum week by week um, activities that still leaves room for there to be the student discovery and collaboration and student directed projects um, at the end and so that would be so to have more and more institutions join on and have just a giant being human in STEM network that takes over the country and then the world <laughs> and then the universe. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so we do still have a few minutes. So um, one of the things I also wanted to ask about is um, I wanted to sort of ask you about how you feel moving this out from people who are traditionally served by this sort of a thing. So for instance, we talked about it a little already, but I'm just wondering if you ha we could talk about a little more explicitly the idea of sort of getting people who don't think about diversity and don't think of themselves as having any interest in this. Um, have you felt that there's anything that you can uniquely think of that sort of 
gives them an in to this sort of thing because I think that that's still kind of the essential question of all of this. Well, one of the things we talked about at the beginning of the course was that diversity benefits everyone and um, there's no, well, we decided, I think, or at least I came to the conclusion that um, there's no need to uh, legitimize the presence of uh, people who have been traditionally underrepresented in STEM, um, in STEM fields, but that there has been research done that shows that, for example, um, uh, groups where they have like both men and women um, working together will be more creative and and come to like be have better outcomes than just one gender working. Um, and so I think that's research like that shows that diversity is important, other than the fact that everyone deserves a chance to do be in STEM and that. And additionally, anyone who is a scientist would probably want all as much talent as we can have to participate in research and other STEM careers. Um, so it's really in everyone's best interest to have as many people of as many perspectives to be represented in STEM. I totally agree. I couldn't have said it better. And I think just the scale of the problems that we have in our world today is beyond what sticking to just a very small portion of our talent pool is going to be able to solve. And so we really need to just be tapping into everyone and especially people who have had different experiences or who come with a different perspective or who just have been traditionally shut out. Like, wow, what can we, what could we do if we had all of those ideas and all of those, um, all of that potential? And I think part of, part of what I was thinking with the being human in STEM title was that this is where we all start out from a common ground. We are all human. And so not only are we all human and we can recognize that and say, you know, let's have a common basis, but not we're all human and so let's be colorblind and let's pretend like there aren't any differences, but let's actually recognize those differences, listen and respect them, and um, and then also take on the mindset that there is possibility to grow and change, not just in how we can master and learn our chosen fields in STEM, but also in how we can grow and learn in interacting with people who are different than us and learning from people who are different than us and recognizing that certain blind spots and assumptions that we make while we have no intention of harming anyone do have impact and that while we are all individually free to act and do what we want, we should also recognize that part of being human is not trying to do harm to other people. So that's that's what I think hopefully can appeal to everyone because we are all human. 
Great. And with that, uh, I think that we have to wrap up, but I think that's a wonderful place to uh, leave it for tonight. I want to thank you both so much for coming. And um, as I've noted before uh, in the program, I will be putting up links um, probably tomorrow to all of this stuff. So please do go to the Facebook, Evidence-Based Radio. And um, I will look forward to maybe having you back in another year or so to see how things are going. So um, thank you so much for having us. It's been a lot of fun. This show is part of the Planetside Productions Network. For more information, please visit www.planetside.pro. And thank you for listening.